I would have asked you to please remain standing if you would. Sorry for some of those. In a moment, we're going to pay tribute. As this is Memorial Weekend, we're going to pay tribute to those who have paid the ultimate price. This is different, isn't it? Later on in the year in November, we'll celebrate and um, praise God for those that defend our freedom on Veterans Day. But Memorial Day is unique. It's when we honor the servicemen and women who gave their very lives for the freedom we just sang about. How do we honor them? With a time of silence. Why is it important? Because Jesus said, there's no greater love than this, than a man or woman lay down his life for his friends. And so would you remain standing in silence? Amazing grace, how sweet the that
Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, chapter 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians is the theology section of this letter. It's wonderful and incredible. And then chapter 4, 5, and 6 is how we live this out. Now, I got to tell you something. It gets exciting to see how we live it out, especially if you understand chapters 1, 2, and 3. In chapter 4, verse 1, it begins with the word, therefore. And whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you should always look what it's there for. But this therefore is huge because it's, it's because of 1, 2, and 3. We should live a certain way. Now, the bottom line is, I think a lot of people who uh, don't understand the Bible and they don't understand a relationship with God the Father and they don't understand Christianity have made the therefore different than Paul's therefore. They've made it about not going to hell. They've made it about earning your way. They've made it about uh, the idea of more works than it is living a life of grace, which you're going to see in a minute isn't the therefore. Now, while we want people to live pure lives and holy lives, the bottom line is we want you to do it for the right reason. And when you understand the right reason, it changes everything. Uh, by the way, there's a commercial on that I just love right now. Many of you have seen it. It's Yahya's reason why you should live correctly. So I want you to watch Yahya right now. Hi, Lauren and Greg. What's up? Uh, we're getting the day started with Athena's Greek yogurt. Later, we're going to ride bikes. Wonderful. And go to the Let's see what Yahya thinks. Are you too married? Um, no. <laughs> but you're living together. Yeah. You are going to hell. Don't worry, kids. At least Yaya approves of you eating Athenos Greek yogurt because Athenos is made the traditional Greek way, never using preservatives or artificial flavor. But you're going to hell. I, uh, uh, which they are. But, um, <laughs> but why do you not live together outside of marriage would be the issue. And uh, I think Yaya might be a little brutal. Um, the, the thing is, you need to know, is uh, Pam and I were sitting and I was showing her that commercial. And I said, there's another one I love. And I showed it to Pam and Pam goes, uh, I don't think that one's funny. And I said, I think it's hilarious. And then we got a creative team. And uh, what happened is I showed the Yaya commercial and they all laughed. I said, there is another one, but Pam doesn't like it. And I showed it. Well, they all laughed. And so we decided, I know it's a little bit controversial, but we're going to let you decide if it's funny. So watch this one. Hey, Michelle, what you doing? I'm serving delicious Athenos hummus to my friends. That's got... great. Let's see what Yaya thinks. You dress like a prostitute. Did she just call me a prostitute? No, Yaya would never do. Prostitute. Never mind that, Michelle. At least Yaya approves of you serving Athenos hummus. Mm. Okay, I think it's funny. I don't know if you think it's funny. <laughs> oh, oh man. You know what, though? Here, are you ready? Do you think a lot of people get that view of Christians? That we're like, we're walking around, pointing at everybody, attacking them, saying, you know, you're going to go to hell. You dress like a prostitute. You, you know, you, you're this, you're that. And, and you know what I, I think gets lost in translation is, why do we want to live the lives we live? Uh, let's pray, and then let's talk about that. Father, I pray right now more than ever we would understand that, Lord, it's because of your great love, because of being in you, because of the great life you have for us, we understand you have something for us that's better. May we see that today and next week and the week after as we study together. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter one, or chapter four, verse one. Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, the, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. 
Now, you have a calling, by the way. You have an amazing calling. We'll get into that more in a minute. But he says, I, therefore, I, I just implore you, I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, we're going to talk about walking in a minute, but let's go back to the therefore. What is it there for? Well, in chapter one, he said, well, in Christ, God wants to give you the riches of his grace. In Christ, he wants to pour out on you the surpassing wonder and grace of his love. In him, Peter said, you have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And seven times in him, in Christ, is used in chapter one. It's about an amazing, intimate relationship. And it gives you grace and joy. And it gives you peace. And it gives you uh, love. And all these things are poured out on you. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of him. Uh, In chapter two. The greatest theological concept of all, because of his great love, God in his choice has said that he wants to save you by grace through faith, not of works. This isn't of yourself, it's a gift of God. Therefore, because it's his great love, therefore, because it's by the grace of God that we're saved, not to earn it, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of him, because God loves you like that. Uh, In chapter three, Paul says, you know what, the church is to be one. We're to be a unity. Uh, There should be a diversity of who we are, but we come together in unity in Christ. There's not Jew nor Greek. It's just all one in Christ. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of him. And then he prays that amazing prayer we saw last week where he said that I'm praying and begging God. I'm on my knees imploring him that you would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of him because it's by his might you do it. He said, I want Christ to dwell in your heart by faith. I want him to be at home inside of you. Therefore, wanting Jesus to be at home and you to have an intimacy that's just off the charts incredible. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of him. Therefore, he says, because I am praying that you would know the uh, volume of God's love, the width, the breadth, the height, the depth of God's love, a love that surpasses knowledge, but you know it by experience. Therefore, walk in a, a manner worthy of Christ. Did you get that's what's going on? I want you to do it. Therefore, because he loves you, because he cares about you, because he's crazy about you, because God wants an intimacy with you. That's why we do it. We do it out of a love for God. We do it out of an experience with God. Steve Verdick who's the the pastor of Elevate Church, said something, and I think this is incredible. So I'm going to say it twice. I want it to sink in. But Steve Furtick said this. He said, holiness is something Jesus wants for you, not from you. Now think about how heavy that is, because it's true. Holiness is something Jesus wants for you, because it's better for you, not from you, not to earn anything. I, I mean, he doesn't need it. He wants it for you. The holy life is a life of peace, a life of joy, a a life of exhilaration. That's what it is. It's not about, oh, I can't do this. By the way, all of you who are parents, you want that kind of life for your kids. Not because you want them to please you. You want it because it's better for them. Why do you want your children to tell the truth and be truthful people? It's better than being little liars, right? Even pretty little liars. And uh, uh, you know what? Why do you want them to be kind? Because it's better for them. Why do you want them to be confident? It's better for them. Why do you want them to excel? Why do you want them to do all those things you want? Because it's better for them. And Jesus wants you to live the holy lifestyle, the pure lifestyle, because it's better for you. 
And in it, you and he are close. In it, you and he have intimacy. And therefore, it says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That's his great desire. That's what he wants for you to experience. Now, it's interesting. He says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy. The Bible talks a lot about walking with God. There's an intimacy about walking with God. The whole idea is that you and he share experiences you can't share in any other way. I hope you love walking with the Lord. I, I don't know if you've ever done it, but I got to tell you, I, I love those moments. Uh, a week or two ago, Pam was gone, and I thought, I'm just going to go out and take a walk with the Lord. And I went walking around looking at the mountains and looking at what was going on and coming across things and talking with him and sharing with him. And it was like, I love just walking with you, God. It's just an amazing thing to have that kind of intimacy. I love getting up in the morning and grabbing my coffee and sitting with him and having him speak to me. And I really like just walking with the Lord. Do you realize God wants to take a walk with you? He wants to walk with you through your life, but he wants to walk with you, period. That's the great thing we see in Genesis chapter 3 and maybe even the heartbreaking thing. In verse 8 it says, They, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Do you catch what God said? He said, Adam, where are you? I, I thought we were going to go for a walk. Eve, where are you? I thought we were going to be together. Now, I hope God has, is not having to call out your name. I hope that you could say today when all honesty, with integrity, that you and God have that kind of a relationship where you take time to walk together. You take time to share together. You take time to, to be with him. He wants that for you. And the idea of walking in a manner worthy is an idea of walking in intimacy with him. Uh, in Genesis 5, 21, Enoch walks with God. Look what it says in verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Now notice verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. On May the 21st. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> did you catch that? Enoch walked with God, and God took him. I heard a story one time I loved. It's a, a mom had picked up her daughter from church. They got in the car, and she looked over and said, Honey, what'd you learn today in Sunday school? She said, Mom, it was wonderful. We learned about Enoch. And she goes, what did you learn? She said, oh, that Enoch loved to walk with God. And Enoch would walk with God and share with God and talk with God. And then one day, Enoch and God were walking and talking and walking and talking. And all of a sudden, Enoch looked and said, God, I'm a long ways from home. I need to turn and get back. And God said, why don't you just come home with me? Now, I don't know if that gets you, but I think that's true. I think that's what happened. Someday God's going to say, just come home with me. And, and you know what? We long for that day. We can't wait for that moment. But it's built on the idea of this intimacy of walking with God. Not only did Enoch walk with God, Noah walked with God. Look what it says in Genesis 6, 9. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and Noah walked with God. Now I hope God looks at you and says that, that you're a righteous in your generation, you're blameless in your time, and you walk with me, walking in a manner worthy. Genesis 17, 1, the call to Abraham. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. 
walk before me and be blameless. Genesis 17, 1. Walk before me and be blameless. God's great desire is that you would do that. You would have that kind of a relationship with him and that kind of an experience with him. See, it's the idea of the amazing intimacy with God. Now, get your Bibles ready to go to Ephesians 4, 17. I want to skip down and have you look what it says here about the idea that we have this walk with God because it needs to be in a manner worthy of him. Not just with him, but in a manner worthy of him. And it says this in Genesis 4, verse 17. It says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. He said, I don't want you to walk in the futility of your mind. I want you to walk with me. And then he says, he goes on to say in verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of hardness of heart. And they have become callous and been given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. He said, you can't walk with Jesus in this way. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of him, not in ignorance, not in being excluded from an intimate understanding of God, not in sensuality, not in hardness of heart. I want you to walk in a light that's exhilarating and vital and amazing. And, and that's how you learn Jesus. Walk that way because I don't want you to miss out. There's a story told that Alexander the Great one night couldn't sleep. He got up and gathered some of his generals and decided to walk the perimeter of his camp. And he came upon a soldier who was fast asleep. The penalty for going to sleep and guard duty was death. So he asked for a spear and he took the spear and he jabbed the man very hard, not hard enough to kill him, but he hit him in the rib and it pierced the rib and drew blood. And the guy woke up and looked at Alexander the Great standing in front of him. He stood knowing he'd be killed. And he held the bleeding side and stood there ready to accept the death penalty for which he deserved. And Alexander the Great said to this soldier, he said, soldier, what were you doing? And he said, I was sleeping. He said, what's the penalty for sleeping on duty? And standing there bravely, ready to accept his fate, he said, death. And then Alexander said, what's your name? Now he had stood there confident, ready to die up till that moment. Now all of a sudden his lip began to quiver and he didn't want to answer. And Alexander put the spear at him and said, what is your name? And he said, Alexander. And Alexander the Great became just enraged and he grabbed the spear and broke it and threw it down. And he said these words, soldier, either change your name or change your conduct. I hope God doesn't ever look at me and say, Chuck, what are you called? And I say, Lord, I love being called Christian. I love being called Christ follower. And I hope he never looks at me and says, Chuck, change your name or change your conduct. I hope he says, instead, you're walking in a manner worthy. I hope, you know, we're not perfect, but you know what? Are we, we shouldn't be practicing the other things. How many times do we see people not walking in a manner worthy? God wants us to do that. By the way, haven't some of you here been embarrassed by people who call themselves Christians? You're like, oh my gosh, please don't say that's who you are. This really happened. Pam and I were at a restaurant and I heard this, this other table and they were just griping and complaining and driving their server crazy. And I sat there embarrassed for this, them and, and this poor server having to take it. And then he finally turned and walked away and they looked over and go, oh, Pastor Chuck, we go to Crossroads. And I thought, oh gosh, do I have the name of other churches you could go to? And uh, 
I don't know, maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe, I, I, maybe family history. May, I don't know. But I could tell you something. Please, if you're brand new here, if you're brand new to Christianity, I know you may see some of us, including me, not acting the way we should. Let me give you some really good advice. Don't look at us, look at Jesus. You know, we're gonna fail at times. We're gonna mess up at times. But I want you to know he never will. And if you focus on him, you'll see everything that matters. Now, for all of us who are Christ followers, let's follow Christ. Let's walk in a manner worthy of him. Let's don't embarrass him. And then Amos 3, 3 in the New King James Version, it says this. How can we walk together unless we agree? How can we walk with God unless we agree with him? And then in 1 John, if, you're, if you haven't looked at anything else, I hope you look at this. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Now, why do we want to look at this? Because it begins with these words. If you haven't gotten there, get there. 1 John 1, 5. It says, this is the message we've heard from him. Now, I want to stop. John, the beloved apostle, said this. This is the message that we've heard from the Lord. This is the message that Jesus told us. What is it? Look what it says in verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, if we say we have fellowship with him, if we say we're his, we're, we belong to him, we live in an intimate relationship with him. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Wow, that's an interesting phrase. Wait, so if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what do we do? We have fellowship with each other. We're gonna go to that in a minute. That's big, that's huge. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Now let's go through this real quick. The message is this. If we say we belong to him, we need to walk in the light as he's in the light. But if we walk in darkness, we're lying to ourselves. We're not really with him. We're not intimate with him. You can't walk in darkness and have a great relationship with God. Just doesn't happen. And a lot of people try to say they do. A lot of people, and I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm really not. I, I, people are in the midst of doing something clearly anti-God. And you say, man, but I'm concerned about your relationship with God. And then they'll say, well, I'm, God and I are fine. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not. You can't walk in darkness and have fellowship with him. It just doesn't happen. But if you walk in the light as he's in the light, he cleanses you completely. And to catch what he says, not only do you have fellowship with him, this is what's wild. You have fellowship with one another. Now, thinking about that idea that if we walk with him, we should have fellowship with one another. Look at Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. And notice how he begins. The first practical sec section. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fulfilling your calling. What's the first thing he would say? I want to think about this. If it was you, You've got someone who's a brand new follower of Christ. What's the first thing you should say? Now that you know the Lord, here's the, one of the most important things I could tell you. That you, now get ready for what Paul says it is. It's how in first, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. Now catch this, with patience. Don't miss this next line showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to present or preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, do you catch what he's saying? He said, you know what I want you to do? I'm gonna summarize it. I think you got it. 
now that you know Jesus and his love, now that you're ready to live this incredible life that's beyond all that you could ask or think, could you all just get along? That's what he's saying. Did you catch it? Could you just love each other? Come on, we're supposed to be a family, not Jews and Greeks, not, not being bugged by one another. If you have to, show some tolerance to one another. I want you in humility. I want you in love. I want you to get along. Any you ever been driving on a long car trip with two small children? They're going at it, and you're funny. Could you guys get along? Why? Because it ruins everything. And I think, not negatively, do you think ever the Lord's going, hey, as we head to judgment day, as we head to the rapture, as we, could you guys just get along while we're on the journey? I mean, could you just love each other? Now, did you catch that? Why there's one body. The body, the one body is the church. Jesus loves the church. Paul loves the church. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to get along with each other. He wants us to care about each other. By the way, did you know Jesus wants us so badly he prayed it? John 17, verses 20 and 21. Jesus, knowing he would die soon, said this, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. By the way, did he say, he catches, I, I'm praying they'll be unified, and what's the result of that? People are going to go, wow, Jesus is real. By the way, he loves his church. Jesus loves his church. I want you to know Paul is crazy about the church. That's why he ended Ephesians 3 when he said, Now to him who is able to do greater than all we could ask or think in Christ Jesus, according to what? The hope that's in the church. According to the hope of the church. That's what he wants for us to know. The church is amazing. Are we always perfect? No. But I got to tell you, the church is amazing. Bill Heibel said this, the church is the hope of the world today. And if you're brand new here, I want to challenge you to think about that. When, when the tsunami hit in Japan and governments rushed in and left, who's left to do the work? The church. Uh, in extreme poverty in Kenya, who do you think's doing all of the work to help there? The church. In Haiti right now, people would literally be dying at extreme rates, and it already is bad if it wasn't for the church. Uh, in India, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people are being fed today in a country with extreme poverty because of the church. I challenge you to look anywhere in the world where anything's happening with any great effect and not find the church there and actually maybe only find the church there. HIV right now, HIV victims around the world are being cared for by the church. It's the church that's doing this out of love. It's the church that's doing this out of a great hope. And if you say, I don't know if that's true, I want to challenge you to get a book that's called Who Really Cares? It's written by two professors from Syracuse University, and they studied those people who do anything to help others in the United States, and they found this. Born-again Christians give of their money and their time at such an extreme rate in the United States today that nobody else even comes close to what we do. And so the answer is, who really cares? Christians care. The church cares. Now, we may have our fallings. We may uh, at times not do our best, but we're the bride of Christ. And I want to caution you, don't insult his bride. Don't insult his bride. Could you imagine if I was getting ready to do a wedding and I opened the door and I said, dude, are you ready to marry her? And he says, yeah, how does she look? I go, dude, she is ugly. I'm glad you're marrying or no one else will. <laughs> do you think he'd want me to do the wedding? Note, how many people are insulting the bride, bride of Christ and think it's okay with Jesus? I'm serious about that, by the way. Do we think Jesus is actually okay with that? 
Uh, if you walked up to me and said, Chuck, man, I love hanging out with you. I think that's great. I just got to tell you, could you make sure and not ever bring Pam along again? I can't stand the camera. I can't stand the pink. I can't stand her laugh. I can't stand. Could we be friends? Why do we think it's okay to insult the bride of Christ and be friends? Now, are we perfect? No. But you know what? It's not someone else's place to talk about the imperfection. Jesus is in the midst of transforming this bride into something even more beautiful. But I got to tell you, I love the church. I love all the churches in this area. We just had a meeting with the, the pastors of South Hills, the pastors of Olive Branch. Man, we're all in this together. We love each other. We're ready to head to gone. Uh, I love the, the church universal. I, I got to tell you what, I love Crossroads. I love Crossroads. I love being here. I love you. I love your passion. I love your care. I love Adopt-A-Block. I love what we're doing in Corona Norco Rescue Mission, what we're doing around the world. I love our Bible studies. I love our women's ministry, our men's ministry, our marriage ministry. By the way, our special needs ministry. And, and you know, I, I got to tell you, this church, man, I love our prison ministry. And, and, and I love what we do as a family. And I pray we'll get closer and closer and, and more effective and more effective. But Jesus loves his church. And then he says something about the church. We come together under one hope and one calling. Notice what he says. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Now don't miss what he's saying. There's only one Lord. There's not many ways to heaven. There's only one way to heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that. Jesus in John 14, 6 said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You only come to God through Jesus Christ. In Acts 4, 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, salvation is only through the one Lord, and that gathers us together. If somebody says, can't we be in unity and say there are many lords, there are many gods, there are many ways? No. No, we can't be in unity then. The church is bound together under this idea of only in the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one goes to heaven but through him. Now, we should proclaim that and cherish that. When Paul wrote this, there were people who had many lords. Caesar was Lord. But Christians refused to say that because there was one Lord. We refused to say it. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. What is it? We confess Jesus is Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead. It's all found in Jesus Christ. And it's got to be in the true Jesus. Uh, uh, I know I told you that I talk to God every day, but I got to tell you something. I talk to Jesus uh, probably every other week. And I call him and I tell him there's a problem with my house. His name is Jesus Gonzalez. He's the guy who heads up our, our neighborhood. You know what? I, he can't save my soul, even though his name is Jesus. But he can fix my plumbing. But, you know, uh, my, uh, Pam has a friend named Lisa. Her husband's a phenomenal pastor. Their teacher's doing great things. And out of nowhere, she had all these people befriending her from England on Facebook. And she thought, that's cool. Maybe they're watching online or something. It just started being a lot of people. Well, what happened is Lisa didn't know it, but there was a lady in England with her same name. Well, one day she wrote, oh, I can't wait for the Stripped series. That uh, was a series talking about laying yourself bare before God. And then all these people in England wrote, what strip club can we meet you at? And she wrote back, no, I, I don't go to strip clubs. And they wrote back, ha ha, that's funny. 
So now we're learning something about the other Lisa. And uh, they wrote back again and said, oh, come on, what, tell us where to meet and we'll meet up. And then she wrote back, no, actually, I'm a pastor's wife and, and my husband's going to preach on it. And they wrote, that's the most hilarious thing. Do you get what's going on? Now, here's the outcome, kind of parentheses moment. Two of the people started watching online, and it looks like they made decisions for the Lord, but, uh, which is cool. But, but they had the wrong Lisa, and they could go to strip clubs all day long and not find Lisa there. And, and you know what? Is some people, you need to understand, do we know Jesus? Not your self-invented one, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of all eternity and time. The Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is only one Lord. By the way, there's only one faith. There's not many faiths that lead to God, not many belief systems. I've had people say, well, what if I believe this? And and they threw out a particular religion. And I said, well, that religion believes that the earth is triangular and flat and held up by elephants. Do you think that's true? And they go, well, no. I go, well, then why do you think that would lead you to God? By the way, the Bible teaches the earth is round and hangs in the midst of empty space. So you don't have to put your mind on hold to be a Christian. But, but when we start saying all religions, I don't think people understand what all religions believe. There's only one faith, and it's not any faith you choose. It's only the faith that's found in Jesus Christ, having a personal relationship with him as Lord and Savior, where you become born again. Uh, Jude was so caught up with this, and in Jude 1, 3 and 4, it says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long ago beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one faith. By the way, don't miss this. There's only one baptism. Now, in reading this, I want to remind you again why Paul would say this is so important. It's not only the unity that brings us together. Back in the day he was writing, Jewish Christians said Gentile Christians could not be baptized unless they're circumcised. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. When someone comes to Christ, we do not forbid baptism to them. Baptism is huge. And there's not many baptisms. There's one baptism. Now, I want to have you think about this with me. The baptism of the Bible is the only baptism there is. The word baptize literally means to immerse, to submerge, to plunge, to dip, to sink underneath. If anybody was not baptized by immersion, they were not baptized. You know, that doesn't make that baptism. When I was a little kid, I'll never forget this. My, I was all dirty from playing outside. My mom said, go wash your hands. I go, but I'm hungry. She goes, go wash your hands. And I ran in, turned on water, put one hand underneath, ran out rubbing and his dirt's falling all over. And my mom said, you didn't wash your hands. I said, yes, I did. She said, no, you didn't. Was my mom right? Yeah, I didn't really wash my hands. If you said, well, I got sprinkled, then you weren't baptized. The word baptized means to dip, submerge. That's all the word ever means. You might say, then why do churches do it? Well, what happened is 300 years after the church had been baptizing only those who knew what they were asking for by immersion... There started to be a belief system that if babies weren't baptized and died, they'd go to hell. By the way, that's not true. Baptism doesn't save you. A lot of people say Crossroads teaches that. No, the reason we baptize the way we do is because we know baptism doesn't save you. We know what it's for. But what happened is they started submerging these babies underwater and many started to die. And they decided, well, then we'll just sprinkle them. Well, who decided that? Is that in the Bible anywhere? No. 
First of all, children who die before the age of accountability go to heaven. God would never deny a child heaven. Such is the kingdom of God, a little child. But, but why is it being done today that way? Well, it's a false belief system that men enacted. There's only one true baptism. Uh, every now and then I'll have someone say to me, well, Chuck, I think I want to be baptized again. I'll be, no, 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 you can only be baptized one time. You only do it by your choice as a disciple of Christ in a conscious experience, what you want to do in experiencing him. By the way, Acts chapter 19 shows us that. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and they came to Ephesus and found some disciples. These are people who are disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who, were, who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Did you catch that? They said, but we were already baptized by John. They go, he goes, but that's not baptism. Baptism needs to be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It needs to be done as a disciple. Now, they were already disciples. And he said, so now here's what you need to do. Notice he didn't say, oh, you're already a disciple. It doesn't matter. He says, now you got to do it. Now you get to do it. Here's the key you get to. There's only one true baptism in the Bible. It's one that you know you're calling out to God for. 1 Peter 3.21 says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. In other words, it's not getting in the water that saves you. But what? An appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you get baptized, you need to be appealing to God for a new life. You need to know what you're doing. If you don't choose it, if you don't say yes to it, if you don't know you're experiencing it, then that's not biblical baptism. It's a beautiful worship experience with the Lord. It's not what saves you. It's an outward expression of an inward faith. That faith is what saves you. But what it is, is an experience with God. It's a unity with God. And Paul said there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 said, uh, he goes, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now this is huge. Not just one nation, everybody and baptizing them calling them all to this new life in God, regardless of whatever race you are, ethnicity you are, language you speak, the beauty of the unity comes together in baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. By the way, people risk their lives to be baptized today. In India, if you get baptized, Abhijit will tell you this. He's wandering around the campus today. They've actually baptized people and they've been beaten badly just to be baptized, but they still baptize. They're willing to do it. Why? Because there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And if you've never been baptized by your choice as a Christian, as someone who's calling on the name of the Lord, then you need to be. Why? Because there's one Lord, one faith, and only one baptism, the biblical baptism Jesus called for. The next thing I want you to grab real quickly is this. In the body, you have been given a gift. Not only are we to love each other and be in unity, we're to encourage one another. We're to build up each other. In Ephesians 4, 7, it says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, Paul started out chapter 4, verse 1, saying, I want you to walk worthy of the Lord in the calling to which you're called. Don't miss this. 
If you're a Christian today, you were called by God to use the gift he's given you to minister to the lives of others. You were called by God to be active, not inactive. No one was called to sit on the sidelines. There's not one of you here. If I asked you, what's your gift and how are you using it in the body of Christ at Crossroads today? Every single person ought to say, I am. God gave you the gift so you would use it, so it would touch the lives of other people. It says in verse 8, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Not only did he call for us to go and live with heaven, but he called for heaven to come on earth so you would begin to live out the giftedness. When the church is in unity and the church is using its gifts, it becomes something of heaven on earth. It becomes amazingly beautiful. Verse nine, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. How does he fill all things? Not only by calling us to himself, but by gifting you so you would go out and use your gifts. Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for, now here's why, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now you might say, okay, so Chuck, what's your job? My job is to proclaim God's word so that people might come to know Christ and those who might come to know Christ might be equipped to use your spiritual gift in this church family to touch the lives of others. Uh, other people who are in this church are gifted to equip you to use your gift to help others. Now, I don't know what your gift is, but I know God has given you one. And God wants you to use it. And when you use it, you find out what life's all about. You were made for this. God wants this for you. Now, some of you, it might be in the children's area. Some of you, it might be in, in, in our Spanish service. Some of it might be in junior high or high school or helping out with Generate. Some of you, it might be in our fuse ministry, our women's ministry, our men's ministry, our singles ministry, our prison ministry, our adopt-a-block ministry. We have lots of places. There's nowhere, nowhere that right now that you probably couldn't go immediately and use your gift except for one. Are you ready for this? Our special needs ministry. And you know why? Because there's a waiting list for so many people at Crossroads loving on people like that. But some of you ought to get on that list. Don't you love being in a church where people flock to go do that? I do. I love that. But I'm telling you, you got a gift and you need to use it. And God wants us to equip you for it. When I was in youth ministry, I used to tell the students this. Matter of fact, when I came to Crossroads, I gathered our students together and I said, I want to be as clear as I can. Back then, there was only two high schools, Corona High and Norco High. And I said, you guys... It's not my job to win your school. It's my job to equip you to win your school. You go on your campus, you go to win your school. I, every now and then I'll have someone say, Pastor Chuck, I just wish you could come to my workplace and teach them about Jesus. Well, I could promise you that wouldn't go over very well. If I showed up at your workplace, they'd say, are you the guy who said May 21st? You know, I, that's right. They think I'm some wacko guy. And some of you already think I'm a wacko guy. But you know what? You're there and you're trusted and you're called by God to make a difference. You're the one supposed to do it. We're supposed to equip you to reach your neighbors, your family, your neighborhood. And we're supposed to equip you when you come here to pour into the life of someone else. By the way, let me just tell you real quickly. Here's our expectation that everybody comes to a service and serves in a service. Now, I know some of you aren't. You need to pray about that because Jesus gave you a gift to use it. He gave you a gift to use it and he wants you to make an effect. Uh, years ago when I was youth pastor here, I had told you, I shared with the students, it's your job to win your school. 
And uh, a young guy named Sean was going into his senior year at Norco High, and we were getting ready for school to start. And he came up to me and he said, Chuck, could you pray with me? I want to win Norco High to Christ. He said, you know what? I want it to be Norco Christian High School before I'm done. And he said, I want you to pray. I've got a plan. I've got it all set. I know what I'm going to do, but I want you to pray about it. So we prayed with him and he was all excited. And then he didn't tell me till later. Here's something else he prayed. He prayed that every class he went in, that his friends wouldn't be in there. He wanted to sit with people that didn't know the Lord. He went into his first class and sat in his desk early, praying that God would use him, waiting for someone to come, heard a rustling sound and looked over and a guy sat down he didn't know. And he said, hi, I'm Sean. What's your name? The guy said, Memo Garcia. By the way, it's Memo, I know Memo today. And he goes, hey, Memo, do you party? And Memo goes, uh, yeah, I party. Uh, man, I, yeah, all the time. And he goes, well, why? And he goes, well, you know, I like it and the girls and all this and everything. And then he looked at Sean and said, well, Sean, um, do you party? Sean said, nope. He said, why don't you party? He said, I'm not going to tell you. He said, why aren't you going to tell me? He goes, because you don't want to know. He goes, no, I, I want to know. That's why I'm asking. He goes, no, you're just saying that once I start, you won't, you won't listen to me. He goes, no, I promise I'll listen. He goes, no, you won't. You got you know, I'm not going to tell you because you won't listen. He goes, no, I promise. Dude, tell me. Why don't you? He goes, because I'm a born again Christian. I love, no, you promised you'd listen. And, and he began to win this. Every class he went in, hi, I'm Sean, do you party? Now, Memo and some others, they were like wanting to know things. Other people got mad. And they were like, you know what? Shut up. I don't want to hear it. He'd go, go tell the teacher to move you. They'd go up. I don't want to sit next to Sean. Then they'd go, you know what? You guys switch. This isn't hi. I'm Sean. Do you party? And uh, <laughs> then I taught Sean other things to do. He went in one day. He's got his Bible open. He's like, no way. Memo's looking like, what? He goes, no, you don't want to know. He goes, no no, I want to, no, I can't believe this is in the Bible, but no, you don't want to know. And, uh, and like, tell me, tell me. And he would do that. And finally, about two weeks into school, on a Wednesday night, I give the invitation. Coming down the aisle in tears is Memo Garcia. And, and he gives his life to Christ, the first one of many. And, and he, we go in the back room and he gets baptized and he's getting all ready. And, he, and Sean goes, man, that's great. And that's the first time I hear what Sean's doing. I'm like, Sean, that's awesome. And then Sean says, Memo, tomorrow, ask the teacher to move you. And so they get to class. Memo goes up and goes, I don't want to sit next to Sean anymore. So he moves them over and Memo sits down. Hi, Memo, do you party? And Sean, hi, Sean. You know, and they're going at it. Yeah. This really happened. So after a lot of this going on, one of the teachers said, uh, it was his pre-calculus class. He said, uh, uh, Sean, now, I want you to stay after class today. So the bell rings and everybody leaves. Sean walks up and says, yeah. The teacher said, Sean, I got to ask you a question. Why is it no one wants to sit next to you? <laughs> Sean said, do you really want to know? You know, and uh, <laughs> and he enacted his calling, had the greatest time ever. You have a calling, you have a life, you have a gift. I'm going to tell you, use your gift and use it loving the body, the family, the bride of Christ. Uh, uh, you know what? Sometimes you might have to tolerate us. And we might have to tolerate you, but that's what Paul said. Tolerate each other, love each other, live together, embrace each other. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a Christ follower, let me say something to you. Please don't miss this. He loves you. Because of his great love, he has a calling for you. And you probably deep down know you're not living the life you want to live. You probably already know something's missing. And you know why? Because you were created for more. You were created for him to love you. You were created to live life with him. And I'm going to challenge you today in a moment that if you would like to, 
I'm going to ask you to open up your heart, open up your mind, give your life to Christ. What does that mean? It means to come to know the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, the one God and Father, because he wants to be your dad. It's about intimacy with him, and it's about a relationship with him that's real. And today, if you're not in that relationship, I want you to know he loves you. And you might say, but I've done some horrible things. You know what? He loves you. You might say, you know, I I don't know if this is for me. Guess what? Believe it or not, God made it for you. And you may not realize how great it could be, but if you would just finally let go and let God and trust him, your life would change. So I'm going to ask you today, if you've never said yes to Christ in a moment when we pray, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me where you say, I'm yes. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Are you going to open up to him? It says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, God raised from the dead, we'll be saved. Well, you know, you need to tell him. You need to say it with your mouth. And later on, it says, call on the name of the Lord. What does that mean? Tell him you're ready. And so in a moment, I'll lead a prayer, and I'm going to hope some of you say yes to him. Today, there's some of you, you know what you need to say yes to is baptism. You really do. You need to, you need to be baptized his way. You need to do it with him in a very wonderful worship experience. Say, you know, God, I can't wait to do that with you. The Bible says you're buried with Christ. It's like he puts his arms around you and you go under together and like, Jesus, I'm doing this with you. And I'm going to ask you to come and set a time to do that. But here's what I ask a little different. I know there are some of you today who need to be baptized and you haven't given your life to Christ yet. There are some of you, you are Christians, but I'm going to ask you, if you know you've never been baptized the way the Bible teaches, would you pray the prayer with us today? Think about the words you said back when you gave your life to him. Whisper that prayer too saying, I'm going to do everything for you is starting with this. And today, if you're someone who's a Christian, but you're not close to God, you're not close to him right now. You know, I want you to know he wants you back. And I'm going to ask you to to really say the words to recommit your life. Pray the prayer too. Let's pray. Father, I know that you love us. I really do. And I know that this is an amazing church. Are we perfect? No, but God, I love this church family. And I love what we're experiencing. I love what's going on. I love the the way people love each other. But I know this, that if everybody here would use their gift, that nobody would feel left out. No one would feel that, that this place is a place they don't belong to. They'd know they belong and they'd know why they matter. So I pray, oh God, that you would stir in the midst of our church family. Ignite a passion to live out the life you have for us and to use the gift you've given us to touch someone else. And I pray right now, I ask, oh, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit in this room. I ask that you would start to touch anybody in this moment who needs to give their life to you, who needs to be baptized, who needs to recommit. God, I pray today that you would begin to touch their hearts. I pray especially for the one who needs to say yes for the first time. Lord, I right now, I pray you would touch them. I pray right now, God, that you would start moving. And I pray for the man who's sitting here today and his past is something he's not proud of. And he's never known what it's like to have that family. And when he hears about it today, it's hard to grasp. But God, I pray right now he's sensing that it's time to have a family. It's time to receive your love. It's time to be the person he deep down knows he could be. And he remembers a night when he was walking and he knew you were real. And he didn't say yes. But today, God, I pray he will. I pray right now he will. Lord, I pray, Lord, for everyone today you're touching and calling. 
I pray for the one who needs to come back to you. And God, they've been hurt by Christians. They've been hurt by the church, but it's time to let go of that and come home. And I think there's someone sitting here right now who knows that's them. And while they've been so angry, they also know that they were a part of the issue. So rather than blaming, it's just time to come to you. And God, I pray they can just feel the cleansing that's happening. Lord, I pray for all those who need to be baptized today. Your way, with you, experiencing with this you, that they wouldn't fight it anymore. They'd say yes. So Father, I pray right now that your spirit would move and touch anybody who needs to be yours. They need to complete a process. They need to recommit. God, that right now it's theirs. I'm going to ask that we keep praying and right now I'm going to lead a prayer. Today, if you want to commit your life to Christ and come to know him in a very real way, I'm going to ask you to whisper the prayer with me right where you sit. Today, if you want to recommit your life to Christ, please pray this prayer with me. And if you, right now, there's something moving. If you have that, you could feel the emotion. I think it's God tugging on you. I'm going to ask you to pray it. And again, if you need to be baptized today to arrange that time, you know to say yes. I'm going to ask you to whisper the words and just think about why you did this. So right now, if you're ready, let's just pray this prayer and say yes to God. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross to forgive me all my sin, to heal me from hurt and from pain, to free me from fear and worry and to make me alive, to make me brand new, and to make me yours. I say yes. Yes, I want you, and yes, I want this. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love, and fill me with your spirit, and help me be who I was made to be, and help me live the life that you have for me, the life I'm to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And praise God if you prayed that prayer today. Praise God if you prayed that prayer today.